Roundtable Osteuropa. Ein Podcast des Zentrums für Osteuropa und internationale Studien. Welcome to the Roundtable Osteuropa Podcast, where we introduce you to the various research projects that we are conducting here at the Center for East European and International Studies in Berlin. For today's episode, I would like to take you back to last week, Friday, February 24th. When we think about this date, the first thing that comes to mind is probably the one-year anniversary of the Russian invasion in Ukraine, and that for good reason. However, there's another event that I would like to draw your attention to today, and that is the Estonian Independence Day, which is celebrated every year on the 24th of February. When Estonians celebrate this day today, they do not only think about 1918, when the country first declared its independence, they also think about 1991, when the country regained its independence after decades of Soviet occupation. Memories of all these different historical eras, World War II, the Soviet occupation, regaining independence, somehow become entangled. In addition, in a country of which almost a quarter of the population is ethnic Russian, all these different narratives exist for all of these different historical eras. These controversies become quite apparent every time a Soviet-era monument is torn down, which, as you might know, happened quite a lot recently. Now, today, we want to introduce you to a new research project that takes a look at memory narratives and how these are passed on within specific migrant communities. Moving Russia, moving Russians. Intergenerational Transmission of Memories Abroad and at Home, or Move Me Rue for short, is a five-year research project funded by the European Research Council under the Horizon Europe Framework Program. The project started in fall last year, and I'm happy that Felix Kravacek, the project's principal investigator, and Jakob Matevosian, a postdoctoral researcher for the project, are joining me today to tell us a little about their work. My name is Johanna Mukwitz. I'm the project's coordinator and I will be your host for today. Felix, since you are the project's PI, let me start with you. You are a senior researcher at the Center for East European and International Studies in Berlin and you have spent most of your academic career in Germany, France and the United Kingdom. So how exactly did you come up with the idea of planning this particular research project? Thanks for the question, Johanna. Yeah, as so often, there are two dimensions here. I mean, one is the intellectual, academic um, dimension to the research interest. The other one is a more personal, biographical. So let me begin with the first one, because that's maybe more, more exciting and maybe less what you would expect. So my children were born in the United Kingdom, therefore abroad. And when they entered school, I found it incredibly irritating to go through their history lessons with them and, for instance, the cherishing of the monarchy that they were exposed to in British primary school. 
For me as a German, that was something I really couldn't swallow, and I started to feel, even at a young age, that there's a certain competition between the vision of history that I want to transmit to them and the vision of history that my children were exposed to at school. And of course, at their age, they were just absorbing these alternative historical accounts. But as a migrant in Britain, I clearly felt there was a sense of competition and a question of legitimacy about who has the right view on history. Okay, and then what, what would be the second dimension? And the second dimension is that this project brings together different research interests that I've had over the last decade by now, I guess. I wrote my PhD on youth and young people, um, and then here at Soist, that's the research cluster I'm leading. I've been working on memory, in particular in the context of European integration, and I've been working on political remittances, so how migrants transfer political ideas between the place where they live now and the place where they come from. So memory, migration, and youth were things I've been working on independently or distinct from one another for, for quite some time, and now this ERC project is the opportunity to, to express this all in one coherent idea and articulate the links um, between these different strands of research. Thanks, Felix, for this response. And that actually leads me right into my next question, and that is uh, concerned with the title of your project. The first part of the title has a double meaning. It says moving Russia or and moving Russians. What exactly do you mean by that? And why Russia? Why Russians? Yeah, that's a Good question. So let me go back a little bit to put that into context. So we all know that the Russian president is hugely concerned about history, how he himself will be portrayed in history textbooks, but also his political language is full with historical references. We know those constant references to uh, the pre-World War II years and how the West allegedly paved the way for Nazis to bring war to all of Europe and genocide. But these historical references that we find in the political discourse of the Russian president go much further back in time. They include Tsarist era references, the constant struggle for Russia to assert its independence and kind of demarcate its territories. So we find from the Russian state a clear obsession with historical narratives, and this has a domestic political dimension. So the Russian state tries very hard to form how people at home think about history. But then the Russian state kind of was once within borders, as we know. I mean, there's a lot of transnational reach, especially um, when it comes to historical narratives. And that international reach is expressed, for instance, in the attempts by the state to reach out to compatriots abroad, so-called compatriots, in other countries. It's somewhat fuzzy what exactly the Russian state means here and who is going to be integrated in this idea of compatriots, but depending on how you define it, we're talking about a pretty huge group that the state tries to appeal to. Some 25 million ethnic Russians and Russian speakers are currently living outside of the borders of the Russian Federation and they can potentially all be included um, in that international reach. And over the last couple of years, as domestically history became an ever more important topic in Russian politics, we also see that this international reach has become increasingly embedded in historical narratives and a mission to convey historical ideas. One important marker here is the 2020 constitutional amendments that we saw. And in this new constitution, the status of Russian abroad is elevated. So now the Russian state says that it has a responsibility to protect the right and preserve the Russian cultural identity of these so-called compatriots. 
And what we saw in 2020 really culminates a much longer process where different agents of the Russian state have tried to reach out to Russians abroad, be that, for instance, the church or different cultural institutions. And the reach to Russians abroad is justified by the need to allegedly protect these people from the threats that they're exposed to whilst being abroad. So it's leading us to this fortress mentality um, that we are seeing in, in Russian politics. And the Russian Foreign Ministry, just to give one example, for instance, in the initiatives for 2021 to 2023, is explicitly targeting young Russians to make sure they increase their awareness or at least retain an awareness for their historical roots, knowledge of Russian culture, and obviously also language. So to return to your question, Johanna, I think what we see, and that's what I wanted to express with this double meaning, is that people move, the Russian state itself moves as well. Obviously, it is contained within a border as a state is, but in its transnational reach, the Russian state is moving beyond these borders, trying to appeal to Russians who are abroad. And therefore, we've got this dimension of moving Russia and moving Russians. Okay, yeah, thanks for this explanation also why Russia maybe is an interesting case to study in this regard. Now, I'd also quickly like to take a look at the second part of the title. So that is Intergenerational Transmission of Memories Abroad and at Home. It's also quite a long title and I would like to split this up maybe into a, a few different subtopics and ask first, why do you want to study memory? Why are you interested in studying the intergenerational aspects? So how memory is passed on from parent to child? And then also, when you say abroad, which countries are you referring to in your project and why did you choose these countries? So let's take it in the order that you asked the question. First, memory. It's a topic that the social sciences have been ignoring for quite some time, being slightly dismissive about these post-structural, post-modern approaches to the social world. We should rather focus on elections and political regimes. But over the last 10 years, I would say, this thinking has completely changed and memory now has pretty much arrived center stage in the social sciences. And people have looked at memory discourse, newspapers, um, how elites employ that, but there's a huge lack when it comes to the reception side. And that's what we want to do in this project. We want to study how all these initiatives of reframing history are being received by those to whom they are addressed. So do people, in other words, actually care about history? Does it make a difference when a particular speaker frames an event with specific historical markers? Think about the current war in Ukraine, a huge, hugely visible attempts at framing that as a correction of historical injustices, does that make a difference for how people think about political events? Second, I mentioned the intergenerational aspects. I hinted at that at the beginning and the own struggle that I experienced in the migration context of transmitting values and also historical ideas to my own children. But when we think about the literature of political socialization, this has been somewhat dormant post-Cold War for, for 10, 15 years. Um, but it's a literature that has returned to the table, I think, especially now in the context of new media, but also increasingly polarized societies, this question of generational continuity or discontinuity and what can parents transmit to their children and under what conditions does this work. So I think this is a, a hugely relevant literature which has not been looked at to my knowledge, at all, actually, um, when it comes to post-Soviet and East European societies. And that brings us to the third question that you asked. So 
where is abroad? What are the countries that we are interested in? And of course, we can't study all of the abroad. Um, so we need to somehow sample. Um, we need to decide what types of abroad we are interested in. And in the project, we'll be looking at Germany, Estonia, and Canada, which are three countries that vary in interesting ways in the way in which the Russian communities can can live their culture and can live there socially. Of course, that has all changed slightly, these conditions for the countries with the war in Ukraine, but still, I think the, the basic outline of the project and the comparative research design will remain valid, namely that in Estonia, we find a, a rather hostile environment for the Russian-speaking communities. You've hinted at that uh, polarization in your in your introduction, and there are a couple of more examples. I mean, we can look at uh, the controversies over history teaching at school, Russian language textbooks, the place of historical monuments, and so on and so forth. So the Estonian environment is fairly polarized and more hostile, certainly, than the two other. In Germany, for long, we had a more favorable attitude towards the Russian-speaking communities and their public visibility, their cultural visibility. That's, as we know, currently being pressured, but still it is qualitatively different to uh, what we have in Estonia. And then in Canada, simply, I think, because of the lower numbers and the geographical distance, we've got a more neutral context where the Russian communities for long could, by and large, engage in their cultural activities, such as, for instance, the Immortal Regiment marches, without attracting too much public attention and criticism. So these are three countries that we'll focus on. They provide variation in the way the government and societies respond to the Russian communities and therefore allow us to get an understanding of that large category of the abroad. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Felix, for helping us make this title, this very long title, uh, a bit clearer and to also give us a brief introduction of what this project Move Me Rue is about. So time for me to turn to my second guest today. I also have with me Hakob Matevosian. Hakob joined us uh, recently in our Move Me Rue project team as a postdoctoral researcher. Hakob, you will be responsible for planning and conducting the surveys. Um, so I'd like to know from you, why is it that you have decided to conduct surveys for this project and what do you hope to learn from these surveys? And also, how will the survey outcomes contribute to the current state of memory scholarship? So these questions about the surveys, I'd be interested in to hear from you. Thank you, Johanna, for having me here. Um, before going to the survey question, let me break down the methodological design of the project, of the, of the Mumi Rule project. It relies on a triangulation of methods. First, parent-child opinion surveys among migrant communities in the three countries that Felix already described. Second, cross-generational focus group discussions in the same countries again. And the third, media analysis of historical narratives in the countries. And if we go to the surveys, why we are doing surveys and what we are expecting to, to learn from the survey, let me break down also two points why we are doing survey and another two points of what we are going or expecting to learn from the surveys. The surveys we are going to conduct with parents and children diets, and the idea is to explore historical narratives held by two generations of the same family. And we're trying to explore insights or getting insights into the intergenerational transmission of historical memories and narratives with the idea and with the goal to understand the impact of the migration experiences on the process. And now if we go back to the triangulation that I've, that I've mentioned for the Move Miru project, 
the three methodological traditions, surveys, focus groups, and studies of media, all the combination of the three methods, hopefully we will get insights and results that will refine our understanding of difference and similarities in the intergenerational transmission of memories and migrant families, insights into the drivers of and obstacles to integration. And most importantly, I have to highlight that surveys would enable us to have a systematic comparison of the memories of migrants and non-migrants, which will enable us a conceptually innovative approach to intergenerational transmission of history and transnationalism of the same migrant group across generations. And now to, your, to the other part of your question when it comes to the contribution. I would answer in a holistic way that the triangulation of the methods met with the goals of the movement project goals will help us to understand the historical identification of young adults and migrant families with their parents' countries of origin. Second, identifying when the memories of migrant families converge or diverge across generations. And third, determining what historical memories contribute to solidarity and pluralistic political attitudes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I understand now the project design and um, yeah, the background maybe behind it. Now, surveys, data collection, I'd be interested to know a little more about this and about your procedures, especially during these times. How do you plan to collect the data and what kind of questions maybe will you ask people? Do you have maybe an example or two you could give just also for me and for the listeners to better understand how, how it's going to work? Sure. So let's focus on, on the first part of, of, of the question. And here I would break my answer in three, three directions. What and why, who and how. So what and why. We're going to have a cross-generational sample and citizen science approach. That is a participatory approach to successfully operationalize the household unit, which is important in our research. With that, we try to understand the role of the parental household for the transmission of historical norms and values. The second, who we are going to sample. We're going to sample young adults between 18 and 34, or adults with children aged 18 up to 34 will be approached with the idea, with a request that they are willing to conduct, uh, conclude one of their parents' children in the research project. So these two directions we're going to use to sample our population. How? We're going to use a quota survey design, 2,000 respondents in each country, in Germany and in Canada, perhaps a little bit less than in Estonia. And in Germany and Canada, the Russian communities we were oversampled uh, by 500 respondents with migration, migratory backgrounds. And how questions. So we're going to use different techniques, including snowballing techniques, advertising the survey online, dis disseminating through Russian cultural institutions, and so on. And now to, to that question, what kind of questions we're going to ask, I have to say that we are in the early phase of intensive preparation of the questionnaire, and we are brainstorming, fitting, and developing the questionnaire. But we have several questions that we want to ask, and I can bring several examples. The first one, for instance, to ask about the value system of the respondents, what kind of values do they have, and then ask to rank them according to the priorities, and ask the same question, what they think about their parents, their father and mother, and to, to choose the priority also for their parents. Or another question, uh, is there a political party that represents your interest, and what is the ideology of that political party, and ask the same question for their parents. Is there a political party that represents their parents' mm -hmm. um, interest? 
yeah, these are just sample questions to give you, you know, the direction how we're thinking at this stage. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, 2,000 respondents in each country, that does sound like an ambitious plan. Um, I also imagine that the war in Ukraine has probably made this project more relevant as migration and displacement are topics that you can find in everywhere basically but i'm also imagining that probably this war has made the move me rue project more demanding so i'd also be interested to know what are maybe some of the things that you are concerned about at the moment what also makes you hopeful yeah so let me answer in two directions first you're absolutely right the war in ukraine and What we're, what we're witnessing in last one year drastically increased the relevance of already significant research, what we are doing, right, for both general public and academia. It became imperative and demanding to explore the intergenerational transmission of historical memories and narratives in the light of the war when we have witnessed last year how the political actors instrumentalize historical memories in domestic and international political arenas and also in diasporic spaces or how the sociopolitical disposition of migrant populations are challenged and contested, and how certain historical norms and narratives became disputed or uncontroversial across generations. So these are the questions that once again show how significant is our project and the outcomes are interesting for the general public and academia. But of course, there are also some challenges that the war brought to us. The war in Ukraine caused also challenges for conducting surveys in Russia, so this is an open question and on the negotiation table for the moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, thanks for this. Yeah, migration conceptions of history have not only become more relevant or interesting for, for researchers, but also uh, become the focus of the general public. Um, and as researchers, you can contribute both to the public discourse as well as to the academic one. Therefore, I would like to ask you, Felix, how Do you hope that your research will contribute to the current understanding of migration and intergenerational transmission of memory? And what impact do you hope it will have on individuals and on communities? I think this question of what is transmitted to your children or what have you received from your parents is one that every one of us is concerned about or might, you know, you might ask that question to yourself once or twice in your lifetime, and we as researchers are asking that question daily. So illuminating that from a research standpoint, I think is something that many members in society will be genuinely interested in, um, and therefore understanding that process of transmission I think is really important. And why should everyone actually be spending some time uh, thinking about that topic is simply because social dynamics and social developments are on the one hand affected by you know, critical junctures by important events such as war, revolution, protests. But on the other hand, it is this transmission over time from one generation to the other that really shapes what societies become. And we can now, of course, agonize over, oh, we are in such a polarized environment at the moment, but what the intergenerational transmission perspective over history also shows us is that this has never been a smooth process. I mean, we find these intergenerational tensions at least since the French Revolution and probably also before if we started to look more carefully. Um, and so illuminating that, I think, is, is an important contribution also to the public. The second dimension, whilst some researchers have been working, of course, on questions of political socialization and intergenerational transmission, how that plays out in the context of migration 
is by and large unclear. And my entrance example kind of illuminated that a little bit already. I think the intergenerational transmission in the context of migration works very different because you are in an environment that you as a parent were not socialized in yourself and therefore there are these competitions that take place in a different intensity than in a non-migration context. So bringing that onto the research agenda I think will allow us to add to the public debate that distinction between what is the impact of nurture versus nature versus context. In other terms, how much do I determine as the family, the nurture? How much is nature? That's just my kid and it happens to be that way. There's nothing I can do about it. It's in the DNA versus the context. So how much is the media that the child consumes, social media, the school, the sports club, the group of friends and so on. And I think taking that apart is is one of the most interesting debates in academia and, and one that we can bring to the public. And how we want to bring that to the public, when Jakob explained the research design, one element that that I think I would like to add here is that there is a dialogical component in that research. I mean, researching, especially researching migrant communities, is confronted with kind of just difficulties of accessing these populations and therefore making that a dialogical, or including a dialogical element and sharing the research with the communities that we are interesting in, interested in, I hope not only gives us access to respondents, but also helps members of these communities who are interested to think about their own status and where certain ideas might be coming from and what factors have influenced for in, in particular their, their historical views. And in other words, to increase the self-reflexivity of the agents that we are studying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you just mentioned the communities or engaging with the communities that you are studying to also make them part of the research process. I'd be more a little more interested in this this public aspect of the project. So the Move Me Rue project is funded through public money, uh, the European Research Council. So Jakob, I'm curious to know what do you hope to also maybe give back to the public with your research? Do you have any plans in place for how you will share your findings with the public? Uh, what do you want them to take away from your project? Yeah, absolutely. You're right, Johanna. As Felix already mentioned, we had a self-reflexivity component, just engaging with the migrant communities. This is this will be one of the important aspects of giving back, so to say. But at SOIS, we're planning also to have regular briefings with key uh, policy um, stakeholders to discuss and to share the results, uh, the research outcomes. And also, we're planning to have country reports for each of the countries that possibly will in increase some debates in, in those countries. And of course, we're also planning to have a media and public debates, so engaging with media and also public debates to dis disseminate the information and also the research outcomes. Okay, great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to see some of these plans, ideas materialize. Um, so we, we're getting closer to the end. So for my last question, I would like to come back to you, Felix, just to ask if there's anything that you would like to share maybe with our listeners at this point in case they are interested to support our work or whether there are any specific resources or partnerships that you're looking for at the moment. At the current stage, I think people are just really welcome to get in touch with any one of us uh, involved in the team and you know share maybe also their personal experiences or their anecdotes of how they lived that struggle of transmitting or competing over what is to be transmitted to to the offspring um, when it comes to to historic to the historical dimension i mean we are 
obviously working through the literature at the moment, but having this this rootedness in how people experienced it is something that is always very, very important in order to also refine our reading of the literature. So if someone has a really strong opinion on that, um, something that worked extremely well and that he or she is proud of, that the children adopted that view, that would be interesting to hear and maybe have, have people also speculate themselves a little bit about why they think the transmission of a particular view on the late Soviet period or the Second World War worked so well and in what ways it mattered for the relationship that the child maintains to the place where he or she lives in now. So, yeah, I think we are at the moment broadening our understanding of of that population and how people experienced it. It's always also interesting to know what resources people have been using because that's extremely difficult to get at uh, what were the children books that were read uh, or a young adult literature that was being used what history books were being used that's of course a question we we can ask in a survey but it's also nice if people feel like they would want to share that with us to get our thinking um, on the right tracks um, as we further prepare the research endeavor Mm -hmm. Yes, thanks, Jakob. Thanks, Felix, for sharing your first insights or your first ideas about the project. We really appreciate you joining us today for another episode of Roundtable Osteuropa. We hope you have a better understanding of our project now, Move Miru, a research project on intergenerational transmission of memory, and that you will continue to join us as we explore this exciting and important topic. Updates on our research, if you're interested, can be found on our project website at zeus-berlin.de. And when you visit our website, we also invite you to explore other episodes of Roundtable Osteuropa. Thank you for tuning in. Mm -hmm.